0: This week on a roommate podcast.
1: Because some guys are gonna spank a girl a little too hard. You know what happens when you spank a girl a little too hard? Bruise marks. Oh, shit. So the girl you love, your sweetheart, the one who you live and die for, the one who's like everybody, like lights up every cell in your own body. Yeah. She comes home from a weekend and she's just covered in bruise marks and bite marks. Damn. Like it makes you wanna puke. Yeah. It makes you wanna cry. It makes you want to, like, punch the wall. Like, that feeling, go ahead, practice that. Yeah. Practice that all you yeah. want. But until you're there, until you're, like, there yeah. in it, yeah. you're, not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to learn the lessons of that.
2: What's good, everybody? This week's podcast is brought to you guys by our sponsors over at Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of amazing classes covering dozens of creative and entrepreneurial skills. You can take classes in everything from photography and creative writing to design productivity and more so whether you're returning to a lifelong passion challenging yourself to get outside your comfort zone or simply exploring something new Skillshare has classes just for you and we've been telling you guys so much this year. Make sure you hop on Skillshare. So many dope, amazing classes. You guys will love it. So be sure to join the millions of people on Skillshare today with a special offer for the roommate community. You guys get two free months of Skillshare premium. Use the offer code roommates at checkout. Go to Skillshare.com slash roommates. Two free months of Skillshare premium. Check it out. Trust me, guys, you won't be disappointed with all the things that you'll be able to learn.
0: And we are back. What's going on, player? My name is Afiz. Chris to the star of the show, baby. Yes, yes,
2: yes. And we are in Austin, Texas.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Dude, good to be here, man. Dude, the capital.
2: The past six days. <laughs> we've been in Atlanta. Yes, we have. Then we went to Los Angeles. Yes, we did. Then we went to Chicago, Detroit, Toronto. Mm-mm-mm. Then you went to Orlando. Yes, I did. And then we're here in the past six days.
0: It's getting ridiculous. But it's not about <laughs> us. <laughs>
2: it's not about us today. No, nah, it's not. It's about our new guest, our new I'm, roommate. Our new roommate. I'm sorry. How rude of me. Stop being disrespectful. Have, yes, I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. This is somebody who's been on my radar for a good bit. I'm really excited about his story. I'm really excited mm-hmm. about bringing him onto the show and the message that he's going to educate and encourage. Our audience with, please welcome to the show, the one and all, only Aubrey Marcus. What's good, my brother? What's going on, guys? Doing good, man. I like what yeah. you've
0: done with
1: the place, man. Thank you. It's yeah. nice, man. Yeah, well, it's, we're roommates now, yeah. so yeah. it's our, it's our yeah. place, so yeah. I'm glad you mean? like it. Yeah. 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 I'm yeah. going to yeah. move in. Yeah. <laughs> it's already, it's already that been said. Is a Spartan <laughs> outfit? That actually the so the armor there is like 17th century Spanish cavalry armor, wow. and it took like if I, I'll show you later. But mm. if you peel off one of the buckles, it took a musket ball. So a homie was riding on his horse, oh, wow. trying to charge another army, and somebody else with a musket. Hit him with a ball, probably knocked him off his horse. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe he was mm-hmm. real strong though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like he a just, jeep. He just took it. Took it just like Terminator. It. Took it like Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what happened to him? But the armor has like a little spot where the musket hit it, but it obviously saved his life. Oh wow! And
0: where'd you get one of those from eBay? <laughs>
1: yeah, <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My mom's got me that one. Oh yeah. really? Um, Dang! Shout out to Mama Dukes. Yep, yeah. she got me that a long time ago. Maybe when I graduated college, it was oh, like wow. a, it was like one of the like big moment gifts you know so mm-hmm. i think it was when i graduated college Dope, dope, yeah. dope
2: so for the people who don't know who you are or can you give them a bit of an elevator pitch synopsis about who you are what you doing all that
1: jazz i founded a company called on it in 2011 and that company's focused on total human optimization but I've always considered myself a writer and a philosopher. Uh, I've published a book called Own the Day, Own Your Life, which goes through an entire day of optimization practices from how you wake up to how you go to bed to everything in between. I have my own podcast, the Aubrey Marcus Podcast. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I really like to just explore all of the unconventional ways to look at optimizing the human experience Mm -hmm. from the physical body, the mental body, the emotional body, the spiritual body, relationships, you know, psychedelics. I talk about a lot of different things that all kind of weave together under the banner of, you know, how do we live the best life we can?
0: Mm. And out of all of those things, what would you say is the most important?
1: The most important is to head towards those areas that you're afraid of, Mm -hmm. head towards those things that are struggles for you and and really master those things. Otherwise they're going to master you. So you either, you know, master your fears or let fear be your master to a certain degree. And there's a lot of ways to do that. And so there's no one path. Like I can't say it's psychedelics or it's open relationship or it's sweat lodge or it's cold plunge or it's working out hard. It's different for everybody because everybody has their natural strengths and their natural weaknesses. But like going to those areas where you could find the most growth, you know, so that's really what I think the most important thing. It's just having that warrior ethos and heading towards those areas that are difficult for you. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, since you're all about, you know, total
2: optimization, on a scale of one to Thanos, (laughs) how optimized is your your life?
1: You know, that's (laughs) that's a funny question. Uh, You know, I do a pretty good job with a lot of things, but there's sacrifices, right? I mean, there's sacrifices that you make. If you're going to run a marathon, like most marathon runners, when they come back from their marathon, they're sick. Mm. Like they get respiratory tract infections or some like minor colds. It's pretty common that there's going to be an immune challenge from using your body to that extreme level. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't prepare. That doesn't mean that they didn't do everything they could. It just means that they're pushing their body to a level that requires more energy and more recovery. Than the average person would, um, so in some ways, you know, I'm doing all of the optimization things. But in other ways, I'm willing to burn the candle at both ends and the middle if I want to get something done or I want to experience something that's really enjoyable. You know, like I'm comfortable going to Burning Man knowing that it's going to take me two weeks to recover when I go back home. That's not optimization. That's you know, enjoying a wild, crazy experience that is you know available only at this one place at this one time for all of humanity and I'm going to enjoy that and experience that. So and then on the other side on the converse it could be work stuff where like I need to finish x many chapters of my book in x many days and I'm going to be working and writing 17-hour days back to back to back to back to back to finish this cuz then I got to get back to holding the CEO position here at On It and I got to do the other things. And that's not optimizing my health either. Mm. You know, So it's a, it's a combination of like doing all the things but recognizing there's going to be periods where I'm going to have to you know, make withdrawals and go into deficit and then spend the time to recover a little bit later.
0: I like that. That, to me, requires a lot of balance, a lot of time management, and, like, what are some of the strategies that you personally do to balance everything?
1: It's, yeah, it does, because otherwise you just crash, yeah, right? Like, if you don't take the time to balance, if you're just sprinting, 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 going marathon to marathon to marathon you're going to get really sick. It's not going to be a, a nose cold. It's going to be pneumonia or it's mm-hmm. going to be something, you know, way worse that you're going to have to deal with. It's really going to be like the universe throwing you on the bench being like, you got to take a break now, son. You know, like mm-hmm. that's going to be how it'll go if you don't find that balance. So it's about just having that kind of intrinsic meter. It's almost like a compass, you know, or like one of those, um, what do they call those things you put on the wood that, you know? Level. Well, like a level. A level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like a level, right? Like, so I know where the little bubble is. Yeah. And if the bubble's on too far on this side, I, like I know the tools to bring the bubble back to the middle. If it's too far on the other side, I know I have some room to go mm-hmm. to kind of balance it out mm-hmm. uh, on the other side. So it's a really, for me, it's about having all the tools and knowing how to utilize those tools and yeah. then knowing intrinsically, like when I need to utilize that. And that's a lot of really listening to my body and listening to my inner knowing. Yeah. No, what I like about that is um, how you brought up that there's
2: going to be seasons when things are are not going to be perfect. And there's lady that we talked to, we're talking to her name is Danielle Jones. She's a she's um, a OBGYN and her first year residency, she had twins. So and then she got married. So, you know, can imagine yeah, yeah, like yeah, the, the yeah. life. But she talks about like balance isn't. Like a day-to-day thing, meaning that twenty-five percent family, twenty-five percent work, twenty-five percent, you know, this every single day. Sometimes gonna be a season where, like you said, it's gonna be emphasis on work and emphasis on maybe family, emphasis on, you know, spirituality or, you know, whatever it may be. But overall, looking at the grand scheme of things, like is my life fully balanced in the grand picture?
1: Do you do you feel that way, like when you look at things as well? A hundred percent. And it's just about what perspective you want to look at it in yeah. you know and sometimes you could honestly look at the last since July of 2011 when you know we launched Alpha Brain and on it really hit the map yeah. you could look at that in some ways as a certain type of season mm. you know and that season has been largely a high work output season you know launching a company and building it is going to be one of those periods but it's been interspersed with other smaller you know quieter break periods and other kind of more chill times as well and also if you kind of tracked my partying days you'll see see that those were a lot higher and heavier (laughs) leading up to when I started the company and then those have faded off a lot more since so things ebb and flow in the micro and in the macro Mm -hmm. you know but ultimately yeah I think when you look back at your life you're going to want to see certain different periods where you focused on certain things because Sometimes that's what it's required. You know, mm. you can't just live a perfectly balanced day every day. I, I mean, some people can be that regimented. I'm, I'm not. Mm. You know, I'd, I'd rather dive into something that I'm really passionate about and go all in, yeah. and then figure out the counterbalance later. Yeah. So um, me and Chris, like, we've been doing this <laughs> show. What's <laughs>
2: so funny?
0: I'm ready, man. I want to dive, <laughs> into, <I> wanna dive <laughs> into it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: But, uh, but me and Chris, you know, we've been doing this show for about three years, mm-hmm. and a lot of times we bring in people, and they, you know, are great entrepreneurs, great business leaders, great in all different types of fields, and everybody sees... For the most part, the finished results. They see the amazing facilities, you know, with the beautiful women walking everywhere. Man, I love that. I, <laughs> I love my I I see what <laughs> how his mind is.
0: That's Are the goddamn <laughs> problem. <laughs>
2: you know, I, like everything is dope, and they see the end result, but they don't see like the building blocks to how you got there. So, for the people, can you take us on a bit of a time travel into Delorean to let us know, like from the very beginning, how did you get from being this? large amazing company to from ground zero
1: well you have to go back a long way let's do actually because there was a pivotal moment and that moment was becoming friends with joe rogan Mm -hmm. and those of you who listen to podcasts should know who joe rogan is he's got one of the most one of the biggest podcasts in the world if not the very biggest podcast in the world so and he's influential comic and influential, you know, he's a commentator for the UFC. He's got a lot of different roles that he plays. He was on the host of Fear Factor, et cetera. Yeah. Anyways, we became friends about 10 years ago, before the founding of it, oh. But that moment of becoming friends with Joe Rogan was not like an accident, mm. you know, because I had to be a person that was able to be friends with someone mm. as great as Joe Rogan. And that journey started really young and really early. My, you know, extra reading of books, my interest in philosophy, my interest in studying and exploring different, you know, topics that were unusual or kind of piqued my curiosity. And then at eighteen, I went on a vision quest where I did psilocybin mushrooms in the mountains with mm-hmm. uh, with a shaman. And I was actually at that point actually I was an atheist. And then I found this intense experiential spirituality and was like. Oh, God, literally. Yeah. So God showed up? Well, the, the divinity within us okay. showed up, right? So what what you'd call your soul, got you. you. know, if you were going to use the religious context. and mm-hmm. you, People have a lot of words. These words have a lot of connotations and charge, depending on how you were brought up. But I'm, I'm comfortable calling it my soul. I got to experience what my soul was like. And I didn't think I had a soul. I mm-hmm. thought I was just a body and a mind. And then all of a sudden, my body and my mind evaporated, and my soul was there. And if my soul is there, then what is the collective soul of everything? Well, you could call that God. You know, so it was like this whole, I went in this kind of angry atheist. Like, mm-hmm. what, is, what do you mean? This doesn't yeah. make sense. And then I did this vision quest. And then I came out like, wow, I just experienced my soul. I got to rethink this whole thing.
2: Was it in South America?
1: This was actually in North America. So oh, this wow. was a North American trained in kind of the, the Mexican, Oaxacan you know, mu- like mushroom tradition. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this shaman took me out in the mountains. Actually, it was in New Mexico. Okay. But, um that was a real a real blessing that I was able to do that at 18. That was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So that was my first psychedelic medicine journey that led me down a path of experiencing a lot of the different psychedelic medicines that the world has to offer from Iboga from Gabon in Africa, which is the subject of that painting behind my head there mm-hmm. to ayahuasca, the subject of that painting over there some, in front some, of the couch. Some and, great pictures, man. And, and psilocybin and wachuma and all of these different medicines that have been the great sacraments of our time. So... That was one part of it. That was a level of things that gave me experiential knowledge, not just the knowledge that you get from books, but also like something that I could really touch and feel and talk about. And then, you know, all of the different business endeavors, but that continued effort to try and be great and try and learn and try and accumulate as much knowledge and interesting, you know, and be the most interesting person I could possibly be. um, That all ultimately led to the friendship with Joe Rogan, right? Because... I was able to set up through you know different business means like a 30-minute business coffee mm. that was going to talk about podcast advertising on his brand new podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, when Curly. it was like real early, right? So mm-hmm. I managed to get in early, recognized that podcast advertising was going to be a thing. And because of my... Dig- I had like a digital marketing company, so I kind of identified that that was going to be a thing, got a 30-minute meeting with him about that being the topic. But my entire life of the psychedelic medicine journeys my study of philosophy all my knowledge ended up turning that 30-minute meeting into a 4-hour you know dinner we were hanging that's we became dope. friends right then that friendship then over 2 years we continued that friendship and then ultimately I came to him and said hey what supplement would you like to take the most and then that's what was the foundation of alpha brain which is on its flagship which is really what allowed on it to become initially the company that it is now so the reason i went all the way back is if i didn't if i didn't become the person that joe rogan could look in the eye and say hey brother like you're my friend you know like you've done enough things you've accumulated enough interesting experiences you are the type of person that i want to be friends with then i would have never had joe rogan as a business partner mm-hmm. and if i didn't have joe rogan as a business partner then it would have been a long slow like long, slow grind trying to build on it up from scratch. But with him as a business partner, we started talking about it on the podcast and it really took off almost immediately. And then from there, it's been about surfing the momentum of having a partner of that magnitude and having that built-in audience and then just trying to be additive to everything we do from that and continue to grow the company from there, which has plenty of challenges. Mm -hmm. But the real key part was... I understood how to build and launch a company, and how to resource and like source enough information and people to build the products. And he knew he knew how to reach an audience. So it was a perfect partnership. That was in some ways, you know, my whole lifetime in the making to try and Mm -hmm. be the person that could be that guy's partner. Because it wasn't he wouldn't have done it if it was just like a business deal. Mm -hmm. Like, hey man, here's this business deal, and I'm just this kid, you know. But because we were friends. And because it made sense, because he trusted me, because of the work that I'd done, then we were able to do it.
0: That's really interesting. I feel like that it built up because you really decided to explore your true self. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, during that time when you was 18, 19, you were figuring yourself out, were you trying to be somebody else? Or you, were, you just
1: didn't know exactly what your true self looked like? I had no idea. I, I mean, if you don't know that you have consciousness, awareness, soul... If you don't know that that's a part of you, you really don't know who you are. Mm. You know, because that is the, that's the most stable part of you. Because your mind is always going to change. Your ego is going to attach itself to different identities. You know The moment you get a new job, your ego has a new identity. I'm Aubrey, the CEO on it. Well, that's only eight years old, but that's part of my identity. I'm Aubrey, the New York Times bestseller. Well, that's a year old. You know, but your ego is always evolving and changing. But that soul, that essence of who we are, that doesn't really change. You know, that's that's the that's the constant, you know, and that's that kind of loving awareness that we have, the ability to witness who we are and without knowing that part of myself, well, you know, everything else is just a moving target. So I don't think I think that's why so many people have a hard time like knowing themselves because everything else is in flux except for your soul. Your body is changing constantly, your mind is changing constantly, your ego is changing constantly. So it's impossible to know yourself. You could know your past self, but you can't know your current self because your current self is always going to be a little bit different than your past self. And that's where I think people run into a lot of trouble unless you're talking about your soul, which is that steady presence that kind of rides with you through your whole life. So this might be doing your soul injustice,
2: (laughs) but Mm -hmm. if you were to describe your soul in one word, How would you describe your soul to be? Love. Love. Why?
1: I think it's the mind that creates all of the separation, all of the division, all the competition, all of the different things that is kind of necessary. I mean, we're in a planet that competes for resources. Even animals compete with each other for mating rights, for you know, breeding privileges for food for power for who's going to be the alpha of the pack who's going to and then there's some collective community you know i think like humans reached um where we are as a species because we were great at building community and great at like working together and that's what allowed us to kind of dominate the rest of the species on this earth but Ultimately, that still led to a sense of tribalism where it was still us versus them, our tribe, our people versus those people. And, but all of that's kind of the mind and the body, um, whereas the soul recognizes everything as same, like you are just me living a different life, you are just me living a different life. So when you recognize same, the only natural response is love, right? Like, because you love yourself, You should at least, you know. And so if you love yourself and everybody is you and everything is you, then you should love that too. And so that's why the soul, I think, can be best described as love. So that's
2: interesting. So you think that the way you're describing soul, it's a collective human soul. So you don't think that there's certain individual souls that could potentially not be love.
1: No, I think the souls are always love, okay. but I think the minds can the minds can be anything. The minds okay. can be hate. Yeah, the minds can be violence. The minds can be all kinds of things, but they're just blind to their own soul, just like I was when I was seventeen. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I had a soul. I mean, I wasn't into hate and violence. I was into being the best basketball player that possibly could. If you know, okay, I was wh- like, which which uh, what position? I was shooting guard. Okay. Yeah. Ooh,
0: we're going to have to test it
1: out. <laughs> oh, let's go. Let's go. Let's I got go. shoes in a coat. <laughs> hey, let's go.
0: Um,
1: yeah, I mean, uh, so, I mean, I think there's a lot of aspects, but we, can, we have that ability to ignore, deny, not be aware of that part of ourself that is love. And mm. tons of people do that. I mean, I would say the majority of people are acting out of accordance with their soul. Mm. And I think one of the things that we need to do as humanity is like get back in touch with our soul, get back in touch with that part of us that is love. Because mm. when we get back in touch with that, with that, like all of these problems that we see go away. When we love the planet, then we start to take care of it. When we love each other, then we start to build bridges instead of, you know, the divisiveness that we've seen categorize particularly the 20th century and before, but even now, you know, it's maybe getting better, but it's still shit, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and so really getting in touch with that part of us that is love, I think is one of the ways that we're going to heal as a society.
2: That's interesting. Cause it mm. reminds me of like, we're on tour with a guy, Do you know, of a guy named um, Stefan Labosier Instagram name Stefan speaks. You should check mm-hmm. him out, man. Mm-hmm. You definitely, definitely will love his content. Yeah. Definitely resonates. With him. so we're on tour with him right now. And, one of the things Stefan always talks about is healing. Yep. And that's like literally, when as, as Aubrey's been talking, like that's what I've been hearing in regards to like some of that um, psychedelic experience, regardless of people's views on it. It was a point of healing for you. Because you were saying that you were angry, you were frustrated, you were bitter, you were lost, you were confused, and then you had this experience, and then you then found the love inside of you. And so one of the things that Stefan talks about the time is that in today's world, so many people have gone through so much pain and hurt and frustration and disappointments and less let down. They're so disconnected um, to their true selves. And they're so um, they've adopted the pain as their new identity and getting back to healing and getting back to that pure self that you describe is what he is like his life's mission. And um, so it's, I think it's just really dope, just kind of hearing you talk about it from a whole different angle. But it's the message it's the same. is still the, same, it's the thing. same thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's what you find at the heart of most religions, most philosophies. It's all kind of getting back to the same thing, you know. Like, tell the truth and love each other. Yeah, you know, like that's like yeah. if you want to boil everything down, like quiet the mind, tell the truth, love each other. Like everybody's talking about the same thing, which is another way to v- talk about knowing God or you know. Expressing that part of us that is a part of God, yeah. it's all. It really gets very simple. It's just different lenses by which we look at this stuff. Now, simple doesn't mean it's easy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's, gonna, it's, go. it's, yeah. You know, it's yeah. super hard. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. the hardest journey to make because yeah. the mind and the ego is really stubborn. You talk about ego a lot. Can mm. you can you
2: break down because uh, I remember here in the conversations you were having with Gary, and one of the things Gary talked about was that. In the English language, people kind of the ego was kind of seen as with confidence, seemed as a virtue, not a vice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And from the way you describe an ego, it sounds to me more of a vice. Mm-hmm. If I'm if I'm
1: correct. I think it's neither. Okay. I think mm-hmm. it's a it's a necessary it's a necessary tool to individuate people. Okay. Right? The ego is the part of us that says, I am the most important. Okay. And that's actually, we actually need that because otherwise we would just kind of collapse into this blob of, you know, like, Could should I, I eat the sandwich or should you eat the yeah, sandwich? Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, even know because yeah. like we're all the same. Yeah. So like everything would be really confusing. So mm. the ego is like important to differentiate us as people and okay. allow us to have these interactions and allow us to like enjoy and explore and have our own, you know, desires and our own. Proclivities, the food that we like, the things that like make us, make us light up and the art we want to create. And all of that's kind of mixed in with the ego. So I think it can have some really positive attributes. And I don't think we'll ever be able to shed it. I think it's an important part of our experience here on this earth. Okay. But I think it can get overblown. And I think it needs mm-hmm. to be counterbalanced by the soul. So like the ego unchecked by the soul, which is the part of us that knows that we're all one and it's all love, then that's when things get out of control you know so it's like the branches of the government right like in the, if all the branches of the government are working well you know you have the executive the judicial and then the, you know this is the house and the senate yeah. the legislative yeah yep. exactly so all three of those are, min- are meant to be checks and balances so that yep. every no one gets too out of power yep. but the problem is is like right now so that's mind which is the ego, and then there's the soul, and then there's the body. And those are the three things that should be in balance in a human being. But for most people, the ego is way out of balance. It's like completely dominant. Too much concern with self? Too mm-hmm. much concern with self, too much concern with power, too mm-hmm. much concern with comparing itself to other people. The ego really only knows how to judge itself comparatively. So it looks, it looks around and says like, how am I doing compared to others? So it wants to be Better than others wants to push others underneath it, it mm-hmm. wants to be the dominant force, and that's what feeds the ego. Mm. But when that gets out of control and it's not checked by love and it's not checked by the body itself, like the animal that we actually are, then that's I think when we run into problems, so all three are valuable, but they all can yet become a problem when they become too dominant
0: hmm.
1: and I actually think the soul can become too dominant too. And I think the body can become too dominant too. It's just less common. You know, like if the if the soul is too dominant, you might form you might be one of those ascetics who just like sits in a monastery and doesn't really eat and is wasting away and never knows the pleasures of sex and just eats porridge. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> porridge. like I don't I don't think that's what we're here for. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like cool if that's what you want to do, but like I don't think that's why we have bodies. Yeah. Like We have dicks for a reason. Like we're supposed to (laughs) use use, them. We're supposed to use them, right? Like it just makes sense to me. You know, we have taste buds for a reason. That's not just to eat porridge. (laughs) You know, it's like like explore, like experience different parts of life. But their soul is a little bit too dominant to have a balanced existence. That's fine. And you know, it's probably better to be that way than an egomaniac, yeah, right? Better yeah, Rather yeah. ra- to be a soul maniac than an maniac. <laughs> yeah. And then if the body is too in charge and we're too driven by our own lusts and too driven by our own you know, vanity in certain cases, it kind of gets woven in with the ego. But the body could be just too, too much like that kind of animal nature that mm. we can't really control and temper. Mm. And so that can be a problem too. But I think the biggest problem is for sure the people who are too ego-dominant. So
2: I'm going, I'm going to go around the table, starting with Aubrey. <laughs> yeah.
1: no. So out of those
2: three, ego, soul, and body, which one do you think is been the thing that's
1: caused you the most problems in life, and then why? Ego, for okay. sure. Yeah. Like, no doubt about it, yeah. because, you know, it's... The problem is, is that the ego is part of what tells us that we only deserve to be loved and we're only worthy of love if we accomplish X things, if we, if we're able to do this thing or that thing. So I never really allowed myself, and we learn that from everybody, like like our parents teach us Mm -hmm. that, like even, you know, my dad, he did the best he could, but like. I felt more love from him when I scored 25 than when I scored 12. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, if I had a bad game, if I went, like, one for seven instead of, like, you know, six for 10 or whatever, like, I felt a different thing from him. He was a little quieter in the car ride home, mm-hmm. you know, like it was like the hug was a little, it wasn't the same thing, right? So it was like this, even, in, even just playing basketball, it was conditional. And like when I got a bad report card, you know, or if I like when I was going to apply for colleges, like all of these things... I had a different expression of love from my father. Same with same with teachers. Same with coaches. Same with your friends. Same with your girls. Same with everybody teaches you this conditional form of love, and then eventually you internalize it, and you're like, "I'm only worthy of love unless if I'm kicking ass." But kicking ass is like a moving target, Mm -hmm. you know. So you're always chasing, always chasing. So I never really felt like I was worthy of love ever, and I had this kind of constant anxiety and depression. The anxiety was the anxiety of, you know, wondering if I'm doing enough to be worthy of love. And then depression was those moments where I'm like, I'm never going to be able to do enough. you know. And so it's just this kind of thing that rode with me for most of my life. And that's based on what the ego and what the mind has been taught by society, which is a very conditional form of love.
0: I'm right there with you. Yeah, uh, definitely ego. It's very similar to you. Like I kind of look at um, my family as like God to me. So when they say good things, like, you know, they give they give me power, especially the mm. words give me so much power. But I remember, always remember the negative things, and that really affects me. That gives me my confidence. That gives me my identity, basically. And that's kind of how I always move. So if I don't get um, the words or the the confidence from, you know, my family, okay, I'll go get it from my friends. Or if I don't get it from both of them, okay, I'll get it from girls. And that's how I, like I identify as, like, Man, I I'm, I'm always hurting myself, number one, but I know the byproduct is mainly the women getting hurt. So I definitely uh, relate to that for sure.
1: Yeah. Hmm.
2: You know, I, I'm going to go a little differently here. I think in, from what you described as body, I think for me it's the body because I think for me it's a sense of I have always struggled with the ability of doing what I don't feel. And feeling isn't even just, like, like I feel like doing it because I'm going to gain something. But just, like, just, it's any type of feeling. Like, even if it's, like, okay, doing something kind for my mother. Like, I know it will make me feel good, but, like, I just don't want to do it. So, mm. to me, it's always been, like, a, 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 I've always felt like my body m- has crippled me. Mm. Like, because of some of the giftingness, the way I'm built. Um, just biologically in my personal opinion because I don't know how you feel about this but I I believe that all your greatest strengths are also your greatest weaknesses and so it's kind of the way in my opinion God balances out the world to keep somebody from being so amazing or not so amazing to to keep people from being perfect Um, and so for me it's like having such a strong drive based upon emotional passion Mm -hmm. causes me to struggle when there is no emotional passion so like I'm great at doing work like this, but I was always a really crappy employee. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Yes. I was always a really crappy employee. So I've always, I've always, so like when, like learning about your story and about disciplining of the body and all these things, like that's something that I'm really getting to, even regards emotional intelligence and stuff like that, being able to not let the body
1: drive me off of its just impulses that either lead me in one direction or the other. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I think one thing that you can try to help practice that, it's a skill I call mental override. It's when the body really doesn't want to do something. So, like, imagine going into cold plunge. you ever do any cold plunges or cold showers? Um, I used to. Ice baths? Yeah, yeah for sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, there's, like, really powerful physical mental benefits from doing that, just willingly, not even for just muscle mm-hmm. recovery. Um, but the other interesting part of it is... When you're looking at that ice bath, like it's the last fucking thing you (laughs) you want to do. You're like, (laughs) I don't want to go in this thing. But you do it anyways, right? And like that ability to do that thing that you don't want to do is a skill that we can learn. That's true. You know, and it's just that like, I don't want to do this. But I am going to do it, and that could be doing something for work. That could be doing something for your body. That could be doing something. That could be eating something you know you should. That should be going for a run or going for a swim or doing whatever the thing is that you don't want to do at that moment. But knowing, like, I am just going to do it. Mm. Here I go putting on my shoes. I am going outside, like I am going for a walk. Like that ability, I think, is a skill that we can train. And it's just you know, for for you, finding those things that you can just say, I don't want to do this, but I am going to fucking do it anyways. Yeah. You know, that'll be really helpful.
2: No, that's funny because when I graduated college, I was working at a a summer camp and I hate manual labor. Mm. (laughs) So um, the week before, (laughs) so funny. (laughs) You're not good at it either. (laughs) 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 Anyway. (laughs) But uh, so the summer before I had, um, they had like this thing called Uncle Week where you basically Mm. had to go into the woods because the camp was in the woods in Branson, Missouri and set up the camp. And because I knew I hated manual labor so much, I did that. And I, and I spent that whole week, mm. like, doing, like, cleaning bathrooms and sweeping floors and moving spiders from bed bunks and all types of things. So that I don't believe it, don't see it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the
1: camp didn't open that year. Nah, 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 yeah,
2: no, it actually made me never want to do that ever again. I like, nope. Learned my lesson. I did that experience and I don't want to go back to it. You know. <laughs> so, no, that's, that's funny. Um another thing that I think about when I'm thinking about your story is like I see somebody like you're big into philosophy, um you big into you big into stoicism, Marcus Aurelius, yeah. I had a feeling you were. <laughs> so one of the things in um in the Bible author Solomon in the book of Proverbs says the greater my wisdom, um the greater my troubles. And um it's something in which I feel as though it's true because the hardest part about knowing all the right things to do is the inability at times to do all those right things. So do you ever feel a struggle with like you're constantly reading, you're constantly learning, you're knowing everything about optimization, you're you're learning and gaining so much about how to be the best version of self. Do you ever feel like a tension between knowing all the right things to do and just unfortunately not being able to be... All things that you want to be.
1: Yeah, I think that's an issue that a lot of people run into. I think it's actually, a, I think it's actually something that accelerates, and then it, you can actually get over the hump, and then have it decelerate. Mm. Um, you know, if you look back to antiquity, and the, you know, who was the person who was regarded as the wisest person in the world was Socrates, mm-hmm. and Socrates proclaimed famously, "I know nothing." Yeah, right. Like, so he was so comfortable with the fact that even though he knew more than most maybe more than any at the time, the thing that he really knew was that he virtually knew nothing because there was so much to know. And I think so he was comfortable with his wisdom, you know, and comfortable not claiming and expecting that he would have all the answers or expecting that he would get it all right or expecting that he was going to be perfect. So and I think that's an aspect of wisdom that you can come to where you can start to understand that you're always going to be somewhat ignorant you always you're always going to have a lot more to learn and it's okay and like that is ultimately like a wisdom that you can arrive at because otherwise it will be paralyzing because you'll know a million different things that you could do at this certain point in time but that you don't do but eventually greater wisdom is releasing that and knowing that probably the best thing that you can do is relieve your stress right like it's worse it's worse to stress about what you eat, you know, than to eat something shitty. Mm. So, like, if you eat, let's say you eat like a bunch of chicken. pasta, yeah, or like yeah, yeah, yeah you, eat your, you eat that, you eat the Popeyes chicken sandwich. <laughs> one of the lucky few people get that thing. <laughs> uh, do you know why they don't have that? I just found out yesterday why they didn't have that. Oh, why? Well, I thought they ran out of chicken, but they didn't run out of chicken. It's fucking Popeyes. They got an unlimited amount of chicken. Yeah. They ran out yeah. of bread. Oh, oh see that! Yeah. i, I think i heard that i, heard I that. Know that i was like how do you how are you popeyes and, and you, you run, run out of out fucking chicken chicken doesn't <laughs> make any sense to me and they're like no no they didn't run out of chicken they ran out of bread that's insane and what then what they they're mark. Mark. <laughs> 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 well then they have apparently some of them were like you can have your bring your own bread popeye's oh, chicken <laughs> no, no, seen, okay, now so, so people were coming <laughs> in with like like wonder bread but anyways let's say you eat that chicken sandwich and let's say you know that like know that gluten in some of the products of wheat are inflammatory, and then you know that when you fry fats, they become unhealthy and also inflammatory, and you know all the different things that are going on. You know they're using corn oil and the mayonnaise that is in the coleslaw that is in the sauce, and like you think about all that, and then you're stressed for the next six hours thinking that you just put poison in your body. Mm. The stress wow, about so, what mm. you ate is yeah. going to be way worse for you yeah. than if you just happily ate that fucking chicken sandwich and was like, that was delicious. <laughs> yeah. and I'm glad I got one. Yeah. Because that good feeling would signal to your body. And they've done studies on this as well. Wow. Giving people like identical different like smoothies. Yeah and saying, like, this smoothie is super healthy. It's going to be really good for you. And then someone drinks it, and their body responds in this really positive way, like mm. hormonally and how it, re- how it reacts. And then they give somebody a smoothie. It's the same smoothie, but they're like, this smoothie is super indulgent. It's like a milkshake that's really bad for you. Mm. And then they drink that, and their body responds in this totally different way, right? Mm. So what we have to realize is, one of the most important things that we can remember is our attitude about certain things. So, yeah, if you're going to eat the dessert, just eat it, enjoy yeah. it. You yeah. know, don't eat it every time. Yeah. You know, but like, don't stress so much. You know, because even if you look at the centenarians and super centenarians, the people who've lived like over a hundred and over a hundred and ten years old, you're, you're not going to find a lot of commonality in their diet. You're not going to find a lot of commonality in a lot of the things. You're going to find that they had typically a strong group of friends. And that they didn't stress much, Mm. but other than that, some of them are like had smoked a cigarette, like the oldest woman in the world smoked a cigarette after every meal from age seventeen to one hundred and seventeen. That's insane, right? And like some some person had three Dr. Peppers a day (laughs) and lived like one hundred and fifteen. Like another person was like twelve cigars and a nip of whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? Their attitude was always so good about it, and they believed that this was part of what made them healthy. So like that positive belief system. Is so much more important than, you know. It's not the the things that you do do matter. It's mm-hmm. not like there's not a consequence to smoking a cigarette or anything like that. Like you can co- totally overpower it, but attitude matters as well as the actual things that you do.
0: Yeah, I see that as a common uh, commonality to your story. That like once you found um, your soul, then you realize that the mind plays a part into everyday life. Yep. So you use the tools like that you said you had, but I, like what, are, what are some of those tools to really battle those minds when negative thoughts come in, that stress come in? Like, so what are some of those tools?
1: <clears throat> well, stoicism is one tool, okay. right? So stoicism teaches you that the, it's kind of something similar that you were saying, like your greatest weaknesses are your greatest strengths, mm-hmm. like your greatest challenges are often your greatest blessings. Yeah. And we can look back at our life and realize like those things that we thought were like, how did this ever. happen? This is the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. We grew the most from those mm-hmm. things. Yeah. And that's, to, that's a classic Stoic philosophy. It's yeah. why Ryan Holiday wrote the book The Obstacle is the Way, like mm-hmm. resistance becomes your assistance. Yeah. So, And so initially what I said at the start, like find those areas that are your fears, that are your struggles and go hunt those things so that they don't come hunting you. That's so that Stoic philosophy, that way when something bad happens to you, bad in quotes you don't look at it as bad you look at it as a challenge Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you look at it like okay here's a challenging thing here's an opportunity for me to respond and adapt and grow and i'm and i'm grateful for it like i got in a car accident about a year ago which was really fluke thing i've never passed out i mean i'm i used to drink a lot i've never blacked out i've never lost memory or consciousness not Mm -hmm. one time in my life never fainted Mm -hmm. i used to spar like heavy I've never gotten knocked out. Like mm-hmm. my brain is tenacious; mm-hmm. it doesn't shut off. But whatever, for whatever reason, sober, had a nice night. The night before, middle of the day, passed out, leaving my driveway wow. of my car. slammed, accelerated. I got one of those ludicrous Teslas, so I accelerated into the guardrail like super fast, and the guardrail cut through my car and split my face open. I had like 300 stitches. It almost slipped. You can see the, the yeah, can scars see. on my neck. Almost hey. slipped my throat. Wow. But I, I woke up in the hospital, and because of the deep understanding of the philosophy of that whatever the hardest challenge is is going to be your greatest blessing, like, I knew immediately that that accident happened for me. And I'm a pile of blood and mess, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm crying, calling my girl, saying, like, hey, I'm sorry, I don't know what happened, but I'm in the hospital, like, I'm so sorry. And I just felt bad that she was going to have to take yeah, care yeah, of me, yeah. you know. Um but that moment, from that moment, I never felt I never I never got down on myself. I never felt bad. I was like, this happened for me, not to me. Yeah. And so that that ability of the mind kept my mind so much more positive. And I When did actually, you
2: get that switch? When was that? I feel like stoicism to me is like a
1: lifelong process. It I is, mean, yeah. You know? you know, and the funny thing is like I'm better at it with the big stuff than I am with the little stuff. Mm. Give me an well, example. D- yeah,
0: give me an example.
1: <laughs> like I could um Let's say I woke up with like, um, and I knew I had to do this podcast today, and I woke up and I had like a sore throat. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, God damn it, it's a sore throat, it's so fucking stupid. I'm like, and I'd get all flustered and yeah. I'd, I'd get all like annoyed and mad, or if I had the sniffles, I'd be all 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 really mad about it, mm-hmm. right? But if I woke up and like the ceiling caved in and like crashed on me and I was yeah. like, in the hospital, I'd be like, wow, that happened for me, not to oh, me, wow. you know what I mean? Wow. Like like so I'm I'm actually able to easier apply it to like big stuff than I am to like why? the little annoying stuff. I don't know why. <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense because I guess I guess cause when it I guess the the press the greater the pressure, the more I have to adapt. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it forces me. You know, like some teams play better against better teams.
0: Yeah, yeah like yeah, you yeah.
1: rise to the level of mm-hmm. your competition. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of what's going on to me. Like I rise to the level of the stressor <laughs> yeah. that's that's hitting me. That makes and sense. if it's something that's trivial, then it allows I just let my ego handle it, which my ego doesn't know how to handle it at all. And yeah. it's like
2: blah blah blah. <laughs> why 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 me <laughs> why me why sense? me Yeah, huh.
0: that makes so much sense. L- like I I literally never thought about it like that. I'm I'm really good with terrible situations. Like I'm really, I'm mm-hmm. when terrible things happen, for some reason, I always stay level-headed. But when stupid stuff happens, like <laughs> yeah. freaking my car <laughs> break down and... <laughs> I'm, like, with I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you, i would much rather get an accident in like, my freaking <laughs> yeah. car and just stop working I was a sudden?
1: Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing that I think... And that's something that we can all learn from. We can all learn to like... Be like, okay, why don't I handle this like I would handle a, a yeah. bigger situation? And then my life would be a lot happier and more peaceful because most of the time it is the little stuff, you know, and the big stuff is harder to deal with. So it's less fun anyway. So, yeah. mm-hmm. um, really kind of keeping that in the forefront of my mind and learning how to handle the little stuff a little better with a little more grace mm-hmm. and a little more ease, that would be helpful. Um, so, anyway, so Stoic philosophy in, in and of itself is one tool. Yeah, and you know, that's just like one mental framework. But there's physical ways to get out of it. Like again, like the cold plunge. If you're stressed about something, or I did this last night. I could feel myself as a little stressed, a little anxious. So I went. I have a chest freezer that's filled with cold water, and uh, it's about forty degrees. And I just dipped in there and just lay in there, and I could just feel, you know, my body like sinking into the cold. And it was just like a beautiful reset, took about three minutes, and I just felt different on the way out Mm. than I went in, you know, swimming 10, 20 laps in my pool. It's not a lot. It's not like I'm trying to be, you know, Michael Phelps. I'm just like getting in, moving my body. That'll change my state of being or getting in the sauna or like any little thing like that can change your physical state, which can change your mental state. That's a tool. And then there's like the spiritual practices, whether that's just meditation or whether that's you know, going and doing a plant medicine journey, you know, whatever, whatever it is, or breath work or all kinds of different things. Um, those are all really helpful tools too. Mm. So I'm, I'm really curious
2: too. Like I, like the more I'm learning about you, I see there's just so much, so much different interest. Like you talked about so many different interests, like you're reading, you're learning, you a lot going on in your life. Like when it comes to your relationship, like, how did you find somebody who connects with you when you're such a a unique individual? Like how? Like was that challenging for you?
1: Hmm. Well, I man, I mean, I don't know how much you follow my story, but I had a very unconventional relationship. You yeah. know, I had an open relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I that really allowed me to connect with different people who had different ways that they connected with me, which didn't force any one person. To oh, have I to carry the doing. entire load of connecting with me on every different category. Yeah. Now, Whitney, my most longstanding partner and the person I live with um, for the longest, we've you know subsequently split up, but we're still really close and really tight friends. Um, she was the person that I had the most fun with. Mm. You know, like, and she was also one of the most athletic. So, like, we could always go surfing together. We could always work out together. We could go to the boxing gym together. We could do. We could go dancing. She's amazing. Like, you go dancing together. She's probably the funnest person to go party with that I've ever known in my Mm. life. Right. Mm. So, like, so many ways that we could have fun. And then she slowly started to grow in her spiritual understanding and grow in her philosophical understanding, and then open up her own ability to express her art through her voice and but that wasn't all there at the start at the start we just had a fucking blast together yeah. you know and and then other people who I would meet we would have different ways that we would connect and different things that were really interesting about that and it allowed me the freedom to kind of connect on multiple levels now of course i was just thinking about me you know, and like all the people that I would connect with, I didn't think about how hard it would be when she started connecting with other mm. people too. what do you mean by connecting? <laughs> <can> I mean <laughs> having sex with other people,
2: man.
1: <laughs> like that. I was I was totally blindsided by how hard that would be. Mm. Mm. Um, and that was again one of my greatest teachers. You know. So you.
2: So. W- w- Beginning with that girl, have you done open relationships in the past,
1: or was like she like the inception of it? She was the inception because mm. we were, you know, we were monogamous for two years, okay. and at that point, um, I was like, look, I I just want to experience other people, and in some ways, to be tell you the truth, like I needed to experience other people because I was still using the people I was sleeping with as validation mm. for myself. Like for I needed people to. To want me to want myself, to like love myself. Like, if they didn't want to have sex with me, then I didn't think that I was worthy of love, right? So, like, and I think a lot of men and women get in that trap where we're using our lovers to validate ourselves. That's very true. And I was still stuck in that paradigm and stuck in that trap without really realizing it. So, I was telling myself, I just want to experience people. And, but really, it was like, I need to experience people, otherwise, I won't love myself. And, you know, I was unwilling to be dishonest so i couldn't just cheat yeah. which i think is what a lot of people do That's they true. just cheat and lie and yeah. it's not that i was like so noble that i didn't i'm just i mean part of it was that i really don't like dishonesty but part of it is that i can't bear it i'm yeah. too anxious a person like the the fear of getting caught would just consume my life and ruin my life mm. so like that wasn't an option for me to be dishonest yeah. so the only other option was well i could we could completely separate but i still loved her yeah. yeah or we could try this thing that i thought like i think i got this yeah i didn't got this mm. i had like, i was like it was way harder than i thought yeah um but it was a it was a great experience and you know we had a lot of beautiful times and a lot of challenging times but i wouldn't trade any of it so moving forward would you do open relationships again you know i don't i it's interesting it's mm. really interesting because i almost feel like it's a I almost feel like it's now, and I haven't even talked about this on many podcasts at all, maybe not even any. I'm probably four or five months out of the relationship, the open relationship, and I kind of feel like open relationship is a transitional transitional arrangement. Mm, Break that down. And so I think a relationship is stable when it's a monogamous partnership, but I think for most people, it comes at great cost. It comes from the sacrifice of passion that comes with the holding of some resentment but it's largely stable and you can build a family from that structure and but i think as you go into open relationship things get really volatile but Mm. in the volatility is a lot of learning and a lot of growth Mm. growth and learning that you wouldn't normally ever get it's like yourself yeah growth learning about yourself it's like Like, that yin yang chaos and order mm. balance exactly yeah so as you push into open you push hard into chaos yeah And as you go into chaos, you learn about your jealousies. You learn about your needs for validation. You learn about the way that you don't love yourself if someone's better than you. Like, I remember, like, the first guy she started to see was strong she, he actually worked out here at this gym oh, motherfucker sh- <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> right? You ain't don't Yo, come back <laughs> and he
0: was he was
1: one of the he was one of the only people that was stronger than me at this one <laughs> feet oh, of strength yeah, where yeah. you could throw you throw the ball over your head and you try to throw it as far as you could behind you and yeah. like for distance right yeah. so it was like this strong man thing and he was like stronger than me by like a good amount oh, God, but what God was damn. I but what was I doing every day I was in there practicing that and I saw his line on the wall I was like man. I'm gonna beat him I'm gonna beat fucking them. beat him I'm gonna beat him <laughs> You know, and then then she started dating a fighter and I was like hitting the bag. I I was like, what am I doing? Mm. Like, what am I doing? So you learn like, I don't need to compete with these people at all the things they're good at. I just need to be the best version of me. Mm. You know, like that's what she loves me because I'm me, not because I'm a fighter or not because I throw the ball the farthest or not because of like, so you start to trust your own essence. Mm. And that was like the great gift of that is you trust that you're loved for absolutely who you are, not what you do or what you can do. And that was like a beautiful, beautiful lesson in that process that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So that's an example of one of the things you learn in open relationship. But the chaos of it, as you learn and as you're in pain and as you're struggling and as you're being challenged, it's a lot to deal with. So most people who try it, then they retreat back to yeah. you know some kind of monogamous relationship. Maybe there's honesty, maybe there's not, but it's at least somewhat stable you know, until it all blows up if they're being dishonest, of course. Or you keep pushing through all the way to the other side, kind of like what we were talking about with wisdom, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. where you get more wisdom, you can get into more worry and more anxiety. But if you push through to the deepest wisdom, then you can be at peace, just knowing that the most important thing is your own mental tranquility. As far as open relationship goes, I think you have to push all the way through to almost the, what I call, what I'm calling now, the no relationship relationship, mm-hmm. where you just love somebody unconditionally and no matter what they do no matter what you love them and mm-hmm. you can hang out you can have sex you cannot have sex if they want to be with somebody else great if they don't want to be with somebody else if they want to see you great if they don't so it's kind of like single but with all of the deep love of the deepest relationship mm-hmm. just without any of the rules yeah you know and that's i think the place of like That's, I think, the place that you can head to if you want, which is kind of an open relationship. But you don't even call it a relationship because everybody's radically free. Because when you have a relationship, you have expectations. You have things to uphold. I was always worried that she was loving somebody else more than me but she lived with me and i paid the bills and then he didn't pay the bills but you're loving him more and it was this Mm -hmm. whole mental chaos that i was in constantly yeah but like you move past that to this more unconditional love arrangement where it's like look i love you no matter what like no matter if we see each other once this month or zero times this month or we see each other 20 times this month like it's i love you no matter what yeah so, I personally think, and I don't know many people who agree with me, so I could be completely wrong, but I personally yeah. think that st- as far as a stable relationship, either having a more traditional monogamous partnership or pushing all the way to a more like unconditional loving arrangement yeah. um, are the two ways that you can get stability in a relationship. But all the steps in between, Are the ways that you learn about yourself and the ways that you grow.
0: And you don't think you can be able to learn about yourself and grow if you don't go through um, the open relationship.
1: I'm not me personally, okay. Because I'd tried, I'd tried a bunch of different stuff. I'd read books about it. You know, I read the books about jealousy and I read the books about validation Mm -hmm. and I'd done plant medicine ceremonies. But until like you're actually in it, Mm -hmm. you don't really know what it's like. It'd be like reading books about being a UFC fighter and being like, I got that shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. I, John fought. Jones, no big deal. Yeah, like, yeah. I got this. It's like work. But yeah. then like the octagon door closes. It's like, oh shit. And you're like, oh, this is something different. That's
0: John, that's John goddamn Jones. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. <laughs> and, and I think that's the thing. Like You can't really prepare for the thing unless you're in the thing. Until you mm-hmm. love somebody with all your heart and she's leaving for the weekend to go have mm. sex with somebody... Like that thing, that thing you can't prepare for. I think
0: I'd rather get punched by
1: the goddamn John
0: Jones <laughs> go <through> easily. <laughs> easily. I would, I would have made <laughs> that
1: trade, Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> or man, there's some, there's some things that like, there's some things that'll, will make your stomach twist that you yeah. gotta like that you gotta deal with, right? Because yeah. some guys are gonna spank a girl a little too hard. You know what happens when you spank a girl a little too hard? Bruise marks. Oh shit! So the girl <sighs> you love, your sweetheart. The one who you live and die for, the one who's like everybody, like lights up every cell in your own body. Yeah. She comes home from a weekend and she's just covered in bruise marks and bite marks. Damn. Like it makes you want to puke. Yeah. It makes you want to cry. It makes you want to like punch the wall. Like that feeling, go ahead, practice that. Yeah. Practice that all you yeah. want. <laughs> but until you're there, until you're like there yeah. in it, yeah. you're not gonna be able to you're not gonna be able to learn the lessons of that. Man, that, and, and, <laughs> and, oh and that's right. what's so fascinating to me
2: because and the reason why i asked that is because at the very beginning when you describe yourself as love yeah and to me i see you as somebody who's always giving always pouring always investing like your embodiment of love that's why joe works for you that's why we attract you that's why you're able to create this great facilities and all your everyone i meet like they light up around you yeah. so i see that and to me and people talk about open relationships, the the one thing I've always was curious about is that like you're giving so much to somebody else and then somebody else will be with that person and then give lesser than.
0: Yep. You know, or take. Or, or take, take
2: or hurt or harm. And you and you literally and you're <laughs> Have to take that back, you know. You have to constantly like, and just constantly, and then give, like you said, literally, you're paying the bills, doing all this stuff, like investing, doing so much, and he's doing nothing, you know. And then, like you said, maybe some days, some months, he gets twenty eight days, and you get three, you know. And it's, and that's why I always, I wonder, like, how conditional, how unconditional is your unconditional
1: love? It's mm. a good question. You know what I mean? That's like, a good question. And 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 the answer was not very unconditional (laughs) not very unconditional and and like because the structure itself always there was always some reason why i felt like i deserved more and that it wasn't fair and ostensibly yeah maybe it wasn't fair you know like she had a boyfriend who all they would do is party and all i would do and so she would come home and she's exhausted from partying and and like, so take her, it would, she would party for with him for a week. Yeah. She would take her a week to recover. Then she'd go party with him for a week again. And at that point, I was like, yo, this cannot work. Like, mm. I'm here working at the house to like take care of everything. Not only are you leaving to party with him, you're coming back. Worn out. Worn, worn out. Just mm.
0: to recover. Just
1: to recover. And go do it again, guy Go, God, go do it, it again. <laughs> so at that point, and she realized yeah. that too. She's yeah. like, wow, yeah, that doesn't fucking work, right? Yeah. Like, so- but that was you know, that was because we lived together and because I was yeah. finan- So we had to unwind that and unwind all of those elements yeah. and we started that process then because we realized like this can't work. You know, it can't work in this situation because I'm giving more than I'm receiving back and he's getting
0: way, a sense more. Of way, way more without yeah.
1: having to give anything yeah. other than his time and you know, he's yeah. parting too. But yeah. But like, so it, there's a lot of tricky things that happen in an open relationship that are really challenging, which is, I think, why ultimately I've kind of gone to the other side of which is, you know, live separately for me now. Yeah. You know, I'm in a place where it's like, I'm happy to live separately separately love unconditionally yeah. you know give as much as i want to give but not be obligated to give anything more than i want to give yeah. not be expecting anything in return yeah. and just be happy and content to love somebody yeah. you know for who they are and whatever they want to do but it's when you're obligated to give a certain amount of financial support or domestic support or whatever then you then you ex, you're going to automatically oh, expect yeah. that in return and open relationship is going to challenge that all the time yeah. because as soon as you get a new partner you're going to be like temporarily obsessed with that person mm-hmm. yep. so even if that person is even if your girl or your guy is staying home with you they're going to be thinking about that other person all yeah. the time and it's and so cars- and, you know that, yeah. and you know that and you know that they're texting and you know that like yeah. you know they're going to go in the, they go in the bathroom with their phone and you're like God damn it, on FaceTime th- yeah, again. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Five minutes ago.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. So yeah. it's it's a yeah. it's not a very stable structure yeah. until until you get to like a real place where can humans get you know, to freedom. can
2: humans get I don't and this know. is one thing I mean Gary talks about it, me and him and him wrestling with it, he's really good about saying expectations, reality, yeah, it, and the, the the gap in between is frustration, anger, bitter, bitterness, <laughs> resentment. Is, yeah. Can we really get to a place as human beings with, with them? Unfortunately, we're trapped by our bodies. We're trapped yep. in our minds. We don't, we're, not pure, I mean, we're not pure souls, right? Can we get to a place where not just romantically, but in every relationship to give unconditionally to I the fullest nothing. and to expect nothing? Can we get there?
1: I believe we can. Mm. I believe we can. I believe, it's, I believe it's the hardest thing, but the greatest thing that we could endeavor to do. Like, like you could build a big company. Great. Lots of people have done that. You can make a lot of money. You could win a Super Bowl. There's, there's noble things. Yeah. But, like, if you can be the one that can love unconditionally, well, that's some shit that they write about in books that don't go away for thousands of years, mm. right? Like, that's some serious... And that's kind of an egoic way to think about it. But nonetheless, it's one of the greatest and rarest feats mm. that we can accomplish. And, and I think there are some people who I've seen living now who have accomplished that. Really? Uh, hmm. So there's a spiritual teacher named Ramdas who wrote the book Be Here Now. And he's in his last days. He lives in Hawaii now. And um, I haven't met him in person, but just watching his lectures, talking to the people who have been there, he seems to express that unconditional love. And then I did get to meet Don Miguel Ruiz, who wrote the book Four Agreements, Mastery of Love. Mm-hmm. And you know he was a type of person that felt like every time you saw him, you got 100% of his presence. When he hugged you, he hugged you like the long-lost friend that yeah. he hadn't seen for 100 years every single morning. Every sip of wine that he had was like the very first and best wine that he's ever tasted. Every sunset he looked at was the very most beautiful thing he'd ever seen. Like he exuded a presence... And sure, I suppose that I only saw him for a week and maybe he was, you know, back to some other way at a certain point. But I think it is possible to achieve that. And I I think even if it's not possible to completely get there, you know, I think it's a noble aspiration to have, you know, it's like, um, you know, shoot for the moon, land amongst the stars, as they say, you know, like shoot for that greatest thing. And if you get even closer to unconditional love, closer to releasing your expectations, you're just going to be way happier and the people around you are going to, you know, appreciate it so much more because it's so much more rare. Like the faster you can forgive someone, the less that you're going to judge them, Mm. you know, the more kind that you're going to be when they do something that, you know, they feel guilty about, like all of those things are going to make a huge difference.
2: Mm. That's awesome, man.
1: (sighs) Well, uh, we want to be, you know, respectful of your time, man. I've
2: I've learned so much, much, man. man. (laughs) I really appreciate everything that you share with us. So for our audience, I have one last question for you. A thousand years after the robots take over the world, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're they're putting together all the human information <laughs> and knowledge, and they stumble upon the story of Aubrey Marcus. What lesson do you want to leave with the world at the end of your life, after all that you've done, after all that you want to do, that you feel like will continue to impact people for hundreds and hundreds of years?
1: <clears throat> well, I think really it's the, it's the lesson that, you know, we are in the kingdom of heaven, mm. but it's our choice whether we see it as such or whether we see it as hell. And, you know, like to choose, to choose heaven, and that means to choose to see from the soul that we have inside of ourselves, to see through the eyes of love, and when we see through the eyes of love, we'll see heaven all around us, mm-hmm. and we'll see heaven in everybody. And if we see through the eyes of hate and division, and we see through the eyes of the ego, you know, we're going to see hell. And so, um, you know, if if anything, you know, my legacy can help people look around them and see heaven and see love in all the places, the light places and the dark places. Then, you know, i've I've done my I've done my job. I love that. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, where can the people find you at? Yeah, at Aubrey Marcus on Instagrams, my most active social platform, uh Aubrey Marcus podcast, and then go to on it o n n i t for any of the Tools, equipment, supplements, any stuff Related to my business Awesome, awesome, awesome So guys make sure you reach out to Aubrey Let him know uh,
2: what about the podcast Set out to you guys You know how we always encourage you guys To share our people with love Make sure you do so Check out Aubrey's podcast My name is
0: Hafiz Chris and Star the Show baby And we are joined
2: by Aubrey Marcus And we are the roommates And Adios